Welcome to the Power of Food podcast. We are so excited to bring you evidence-based nutrition information focusing on addressing the root cause for imbalance. Food has the power to help you achieve lifelong optimal health without the side effects of prescription medication. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or any other podcast platform. I am Stacey Seslowski, Functional Nutrition Registered Dietitian. And I am Leah Grace Barrick, Functional Nutritionist. Hey everyone, welcome to the Power of Food podcast. We have a special guest today, Mindy Gorman-Pletzer. Mindy brings two decades of experience to her private practice as a certified functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner and eating psychology coach. Mindy's life experience and training inspired her to create a framework that combines functional nutrition, positive psychology, and mind-body science. She introduces a compassionate resolution to physical and emotional challenges resulting from chronic and complex health issues as they relate to eating disorders. She's the author of The Freedom Promise, Seven Steps to Stop Fearing What Food Will Do to You and Start Embracing What It Can Do for You. Welcome to the Power Food Podcast, Mindy. Uh, Thank you so very much. I'm really, truly happy to be here. Amazing. Well, we're so excited to have you on. Stacey and I were just chatting that we really haven't dived into this topic yet. So we're super excited to hear more about you, hear more about how you work with clients and kind of go from there. So I'd love to start off with you just kind of telling our listeners how you got into this. If you have, I know you do have, but a little bit about your own personal journey um, and a little bit about just, you know, conventional eating disorder recovery and why those typically fail. Yes. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to share that I came to this place of knowing, if you will, because of my own unsustainable experience with eating disorder recovery. Um, My history goes back to my early teens, where I was essentially taught to diet. That, you know, I had the message that image was important and a very big part of image was how you looked and the importance of how you looked had to do with how thin you were. And add to that the fact that my parents were struggling with their own weight issues. So dieting really became a family affair. And I'm dating myself now, but we were on the Stillman diet, the Atkins diet, the cabbage soup diet. And it was always calorie counting and restricting. And I I really have to interject, though, and say that not everybody who goes on a diet is going to develop an eating disorder. But in my experience, I haven't met anybody struggling with an eating disorder that didn't start with a diet. So I I just want to put that out there. So I started, as I said, in my early teens, and that um, morphed into my later teens, where I would help myself to literally handfuls of diuretics, over-the-counter appetite suppressants, laxatives, um, always having the calorie count of food in the back of my mind. And I, I laugh when I say that I couldn't balance my checkbook, but I could calculate every morsel that I was putting in. <laughs> Fast forward to my early 20s, I married young, had two daughters by the time I was 24, living the life that I was supposed to be living and making sure that the size of my thighs were always appropriate according to the image that I needed to see in the mirror. Uh, By the time I was in my late 30s, my daughters were teenagers, I was getting smaller, they were getting bigger. 
their relationship with food was certainly being negatively influenced by what I was modeling. My husband was as supportive as he could have been, um, not really understanding the nature of what I was going through. Our relationship vacillated between support and resentment. That wasn't going to head in the right direction. So I was really at that point, I thought I was at my bottom, wasn't quite, but I did decide to reach out for help. So I reached out to our family doctor who had me coming in for weekly weigh-ins. I was referred to a therapist who I was seeing twice weekly and a dietitian that I was seeing for a meal plan, who I must say was giving me what I considered to be absurdly voluminous amounts of food, foods that I was not comfortable eating. Um, eat this, don't eat that, eat everything, and wash it down with two glasses of wine to keep you relaxed. I was also prescribed Prozac and Xanax to manage my mood and anxiety. This was not going to be sustainable, but being the good little girl that I was, I showed up for all my appointments. So I was essentially being told what I needed to weigh, what I needed to think, and what I needed to eat. Nobody was addressing what I was really hungry for. That I was hungry for connection. I was hungry for a sense of belonging. I was hungry for feeling safe, not only in the world around me, but in my own body. But I was doing recovery. And I really would love to address sometime during our time together today the difference between doing recovery and being recovered, but I, I don't want to deviate. I want to finish the story. So um, now I am in my early 40s. Life is wonderful. I'm doing recovery. I'm, I'm okay. My weight is restoring. Girls were growing up to be fabulous young women. My husband and I had a great relationship. We were becoming empty nesters. And he was diagnosed with metastatic melanoma and the prognosis was dire. So it was 21 months of doctor visits, treatments, uh, trials, surgeries, and he finally passed in 2004. I was 49 years old and I was petrified, petrified. So of course, with the need to self-soothe, I reverted back to all of my compensatory behaviors and restrictive eating in an effort to control what I felt I couldn't and what I knew to be my safety net, as unsafe as it was. Um, I realized after a little bit of time that I had a choice. I could either stay buried in that cesspool that I was in, or I could embrace the light. And by some divine intervention, I chose the light. And I went back to school and I became a board certified health coach and then followed that with the degree and a certification in eating psychology coaching, and then fell in love with the concept of functional nutrition and became a certified functional nutrition practitioner. So here I am, and uh, along the way, I developed my program, Seven Steps to Stop Fearing What Food Will Do to You and Start Embracing What It Can Do For You. And I've guided and coached and partnered with countless numbers of women, some men, and help them to understand that they are the experts of their experience and they can become the masters of their healing. 
Thank you so much for sharing that information. And I think that that's so valuable and important for people to understand your story because I think so many people will relate to it. And I really do want to dive into that question that Leah asked about the difference between, you know, the way that you might, um, your perspective on this and that you handle or address these issues versus conventional medicine strategies. Um, but before we even get to that, can I ask, what I love about your story is that you gave two completely different you know, aspects of your life when you were focused on completely different things. And yet in both areas, it triggered your, you know, disordered eating. Like at one point it was more about just being skinny or maybe more about following what your parents were doing. And then at another point, it was a sort of depression over a recent loss. And yet both you know, sort of scenarios triggered the same behavior. And I think that's what people don't understand. It's not always, you know, just about being skinny or there's something about disordered eating that is more to do with your emotional, you know, status at a certain point in your life. Well, this is where biology intersects with psychology. Let's go back to the minute we are born. The, our very first experience with being seen, heard, nurtured, has to do with being fed. We have no sense of self, no ego, no sense of autonomy. We are solely relying upon the one person who is responsible for our care and feeding. The brain remembers this. The brain remembers need to feel safe, need something, need to be fed. Okay, now we can talk about what feeds us. Eat, feel better. That's stored in the limbic part of the brain. Later on in life, things happen. Life gets in the way. We no longer feel safe, whether it be through big trauma, little trauma, any kind of incident that throws us so we need to feel safe. The brain remembers, eat, feel better. Now for some, the eat has the opposite effect. You're using food in a way so that you're restricting because you need, you need some form of control or perhaps you need to feel more invisible or perhaps you need to be more childlike. Mm. So the way that the disordered eating behavior manifests really depends on one's individual story and their attachment to it. Hmm. So unfortunately, I need to be very vague if you're going to ask me why one form takes over another. My answer has to be it depends. It depends on story. And I spend so much time with my clients on unraveling that story so they can understand the context within which their behaviors evolve. For me, it was needing to feel safe, needing to feel connected to something when I had no connection to anything at all, certainly not to myself. And that's the other thing we need to understand. Recovery is very relational. It's about the relationship we have with ourselves that's reflected in our relationship to everything else. 
And I hope I helped you to understand why food is really so predominant in that as a go-to for self-soothing. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Probably more than I've ever heard anyone describe about disordered eating to me. Yeah, I I find that so interesting with like the safety aspect versus the control and how it's it can be two totally different things. And I'm curious, like obviously, you know, it's going to depend on the person. It's very individualized. But do you have specific things that you work on with people, you know, to make them feel more safe without, you know, relying on food? And then on the control aspect, like to allow them to either release the control or understand that it's like not, it's an illusion essentially, because like, you know, you can't really control anything. And that's like a whole nother topic. But I'm curious if you have specific things that you work on with clients or more general things to kind of help find those in not food. Absolutely. Well, first things, as I alluded to, um, the first step is to help my clients clear the clutter, clear the noise that's in their heads, um, define and articulate the context, as I said, within which these behaviors and these beliefs emerged, right? What are the beliefs that they have about food and their bodies? How did the food fears evolve? What were the messages that they received? And then we do a lot of work looking at the validity of those messages, where those messages came from, never blaming, always explaining. So we start there. And at the same time, I'm always helping them to look at what they are eating and why, because the truth is that if our brains are malnourished, we're not going to be able to receive all this information that hopefully we're uncovering. And we're not going to have the wherewithal and the fortitude to take the next steps. There's a brilliant psychiatrist, he's a functional psychiatrist, his name is James Greenblatt. And I recently read one of his books where he talks about particularly anorexia being a biological response to malnutrition. So basically you could say, you know, first we eat, then we talk. So when I work with a client, whether she's restricting or binge eating, first thing I always set out to do is try to introduce a more anti-inflammatory diet. Try to introduce a diet that is going to not feed her anxiety right? Because we know there are foods that are going to make us feel more anxious, which is why I have an issue with the conventional all foods fit philosophy. Mm -hmm. Recovery is not about calories. It's not about weight restoration. It's not about food groups. It's very nuanced and it's extremely bio-individual. And we've got to address the, the environment within the person that we're working with to help them recover what was lost or taken from them, which is the true definition of recovery, to regain what was lost or taken. Yeah, you sort of alluded to exactly what I was thinking. It's like, what came first? Is it possible that they were malnourished because of their diet in general, and then those missing nutrients is what leads to them you know, having this disordered eating, you know, like, I just feel like there, there has to, there could be some physical things that could trigger this, or there could be some emotional things that could trigger it. And then it just becomes this vicious cycle. 
Yeah. You know, like the gut brain connection is a bi-directional pathway. Mm -hmm. There is definitely a physiological component that impacts the psychological component and the psychological component impacts the physiology. Right. I like to say, you know, how did your biology become your biography? But here's an interesting fact that I recently learned. 90 to 98 percent of people struggling with eating disorders have some sort of GI dysfunction. Mm, and the symptoms remain long after the behaviors resolve. Take that a step further. Children who struggle with GI dysfunction have a higher propensity to develop eating disorders later on in life. Mm. So if that doesn't speak to the gut-brain connection, I don't know what is. And again, we want to talk about conventional treatment protocols. They're first waking up to the gut-brain connection and the importance of it. But, but traditional treatment protocols are not following up on it because in all of these beautiful residential treatment programs, they're following an all-foods-fit philosophy. I recently visited a fantastic center in Chicago. It was, it was just so beautiful. I was so impressed. I was impressed by the staff and, and the compassion and the care and, and how it was so well thought out. It, happened, it was a, a treatment center for binge eating disorder. So the commodes were oversized. The chairs were oversized. The beds were all full size. It was so well thought out with compassion and empathy. And then I met with the dietitian, and I asked a few questions. No, they don't, they don't count calories. They, they follow exchanges. And I asked to see a menu and the menu for that day listed the fruits available. One was an apple, one was an orange and the third was lemonade. Now I don't know when lemonade became a fruit. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that we need to really look at the system in general. So we really need to be educators for our clients and patients and truly help them to not only understand the dynamics of food, but help them to connect to the wisdom of their own body so they can make empowered choices to eat what benefits them. Yeah, that was so helpful. And honestly, something I haven't heard as someone working within the eating disorder realm who is against the all foods fit philosophy, because like in nutrition, there's so much nuance, as you said, you know, in psychology, so much nuance, all of this. And so I feel like with a lot of people, it's always like eat anything. And like you said, with lemonade, like that's literally pure sugar, which for some people will just immediately, you know, trigger anxiety, stress, blood sugar imbalances, which like is a whole huge part of anxiety in general. So finding the balance between the two, I would imagine is, is difficult, but also necessary. And, you know, that's, I, I just, I feel like it's very refreshing to hear that because I think a lot, you know, of people who are in this realm of like intuitive eating and that kind of thing. It's like, oh, just eat the McDonald's or the Snickers bar, or whatever. Or it's like the orthorexic way end of the other spectrum where it's like, no, everything has to be like perfect in this very like stressful place. So I love that you're kind of like, no, we need to heal the gut because that's crazy. Over 90% of people with eating disorders have gut problems and it totally makes sense. And I'm really curious if 
there's been any studies or anything on like the gut microbiome and that, or, you know, that kind of thing where once you heal the gut, recovery is that much easier. Do you know of anything that, you know, has come out in that realm? I honestly cannot cite any studies, but I can tell you that a host of nutritional deficiencies have been tied to depression Mm -hmm. that we know. And if we're going to talk about food as medicine, we need to even look at the definition of orthorexia. Mm. I have an issue with that. You know, I think, yes, any behavior with food that is fear-driven, fear-based, that is rooted in rules and restrictions is a form of disordered eating or an eating disorder. And we can talk about the difference between disordered eating and eating disorders. Um, But why has the wellness diet, the way it's been coined, been so demonized by people who are promoting recovery? I just, at two, from 2 o'clock to 2.45 with a client, and we had a whole discussion about intuitive eating. Now, this is a very, very brilliant woman, therapist herself, who has been struggling with bulimia for years. And she loves the the concept of intuitive eating, but she has no connection to her body. So you can't have intuition about anything without connecting to the wisdom of your body. So we have to remember that. So to tell somebody, just eat the Snickers bar, just eat the donut, without taking into account how that food is going to affect them, how their bodies are going to function as a result of eating that food, is anything but intuitive. Because they're going to have a reaction, especially if they've had years of restricting, binging, and possibly purging. Or perhaps if they've got neurotransmitter deficiencies and those foods are going to affect them negatively. How could they possibly develop and intuition when they're all in their heads, when everything is fear-based. We cannot have intuition in the presence of fear. So what are some of like the first steps? And I guess this can go back to that connection between the difference between functional medicine and conventional medicine is like, how do you get to those root causes with each person individually? And how do you even make those first steps into what foods are going to work for them versus foods that wouldn't work for them? And kind of like walk us through those first few, you know, recommendations or conversations that you have with your patients? So the first step is a detailed intake, social, psychological, and medical. And then we spend a lot of time talking about their relationship to and behavior with food. And very often I'll have them write me an autobiography of their relationship with food. So we can really understand where it all came from. And we go over together And I point out to them where perhaps these thoughts, these beliefs morphed out of disordered thinking. And we start there. At the same time, I'm having them log their food if it's not too triggering. And, but I explain to them, it's for information purposes only. Introducing them to what their bodies 
are doing with the food that they're eating? What are the symptoms, if any, that they're feeling? But what are they thinking as a result of what they're eating? Right? So if I'm introducing a starchy vegetable, and sometimes I don't even refer to that food as a carbohydrate because that could be scary. It's a starchy vegetable. If I'm asking somebody to eat a sweet potato or even a roasted potato, how did it make you feel? And invite in curiosity. That's how I partner with my clients. I don't make the suggestions without offering a sense of curiosity. Invite first to have awareness, then we'll have curiosity. So is what I'm feeling physical? When you're telling me that I feel like this potato is laying in my gut, or is this fear-based thinking? Am I afraid of what it's going to do to me rather than moving to the next step where I can share with them and educate them as to what it's going to do for them? So those, those are generally the first steps. And everybody is different. And everybody is going to come with a different level of disordered eating or thinking. I'm sorry. I'm going to turn. I'm very sorry. Um, I hope you can edit that out. Um, yeah, so everybody's going to come in with a different level of disordered thinking and a different level of, of behavior. I, I wanted to share that my definition of disordered eating is misguided behavior that is driven by misinformation. So that would be the person that's coming in looking to be told, eat this, don't eat that, who has been on every diet known to mankind and can't understand why they can't get a handle on their weight, right? My job, as I see it, is to help them understand why the weight got there in the first place. And if it's someone who's restricting, who has too little weight on her body, how is that serving her? Mm -hmm. Because it's always about that. There is always reward because as I alluded to earlier, the eating disorder is not the problem. It started as a solution, a beautiful solution to help you navigate a world that you no longer feel safe in. Yeah, I love that approach to it. And I love the focus on the awareness and the curiosity, even just like, you know, tracking food, which can be very triggering. But I think a lot of people, when they do it, they're immediately judging themselves, right? It's like, oh, this was good. This was bad. You know, that binary um, aspect of it. So more so using it as information to help you help them. And, you know, I also love that it sounds like you really are co-creating this plan with the clients rather than like what you explained in the beginning with your eating disorder in a more conventional approach where everyone's just kind of like telling you what to do and the control is completely out of your hands and you're just kind of a passenger in the situation. So it sounds like with this approach, it's much more, you know, meeting them where they're at, looking upstream, getting to the root cause of why this is happening in the first place, like we do in all of functional medicine and addressing that so that, you know, it doesn't come back and recirculate. So I really love that approach to it. Um, I would love for you to just touch on a little bit. I know you mentioned um, you work with people on, you know, their relationship with themselves. And so I'd love for you to just talk about, you know, how your relationship with yourself is a reflection of your relationship with everything else. I believe that it starts with how we source our self-worth. You know, what makes us feel useful, where we feel purposeful, if, and some people don't at all. So we need to take a deep, hard look at that. 
the woman who has maybe given up a career to raise children, who has given everything of herself to everyone else, is going to have a very misguided relationship with deprivation and feeling restriction. So she's going to be the woman who is most likely to overeat, possibly turning it into a binge at the end of the day, and usually washing it down with a few glasses of wine. You know, and then you have the woman who sources herself, her self-worth by her appearance and image. That woman is going to be a professional dieter, flitting from one food plan to another, listening to what everybody else is doing. She's going to be more connected to comparison than what she really needs to be connected to, her inner goodness, her soul. You know, and then you have the, the superwoman who who values herself based on her accomplishments. So she might not be taking care of herself so well during the day. And she could vacillate between over-restricting and then falling into what I call protective eating when she's just so starving that she just turns to everything in sight and does a lot of her eating mindlessly while she's maybe on a phone call with colleagues or, or, or in a meeting. So it really depends on how I like to say who we are as eaters. How are we eating? Why are we eating? When are we eating? And when you take that deep dive into each of those issues, it's easier for the what to kind of take care of itself. Hmm. Yeah, I bet that, th I mean, this is such a long process for people because I think that most people are just unaware. They're unaware of the, you know, the, the, the tr what's the, the, their relationship with the, you know, their food, their disordered eating. Like I think they probably don't even know, or maybe they think they know and that it's one thing. And really when they, you know, explore this, it becomes something completely different. So I think that helping people and guiding people through this is probably just one of the most important things that you could do. Um, well, thank you so much for all of this information. I really do think that not only did it, you know, enlighten our audience, but I'm enlightened. I feel like I have a much better understanding of even how to, to begin this process and where to go with it. Um, if you were to, you know, sort of give our audience kind of one takeaway or one, you know, most important thing to think about, do you have uh, something to say there? Absolutely. Transformation requires an internal shift. And that transformation is less about what we do to change and more about what we let go of so that we can become the change. And when we let go, we become lighter. Our, we take on a lightness of being. And when we take on that lightness of being, our bodies become lighter and the burden is lifted. Mm -hmm. And we're able to move forward into our lives with more of a flow. So beautifully said. Thank you so much, Mindy, for being here. Will you tell our audience where they can find you? Of course. Uh, they can find me online, read more about me and my story and the uh, resources that I have at thefreedompromise.com. You can find me on Instagram at The Freedom Promise, Facebook, 
the Freedom Promise. And I'm always happy to engage over email, Mindy at thefreedompromise.com. Thank you so much. We've really enjoyed listening and learning from you today and see everybody next time. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode helpful, we'd love if you left a rating and review and shared it with someone else who would find it helpful. You can find more information about Leah at gracefunctionalnutrition.com and get in touch with her through email at leah at gracefunctionalnutrition.com or on Instagram at gracefunctionalnutrition. To find more information about Stacy, you can find her at healfromfood.com email her at stacy at heal from food or on social media at heal from food. See you next time.